Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash QGT. This activity is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS. Welcome to this Peer Voice activity on stroke prevention in diabetes. This activity comprises three presentations. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Kamlesh Kunti, Professor of Primary Care Diabetes and Vascular Medicine at the University of Leicester in the UK. Welcome to this activity on stroke prevention in people with type 2 diabetes. In the following presentation entitled Back to Basics, the importance of stroke prevention in type 2 diabetes and treatment options for reducing risk, we will review a number of things. We will look at characteristics of patients uh, with stroke and type 2 diabetes. We'll look at the consequences uh, of stroke in people with type 2 diabetes and the preventative therapies to reduce this stroke risk. According to meta-analysis by the Emerging Risk Factor Collaboration, one in eight deaths in people with type 2 diabetes may be attributable to stroke. Conversely, meta-analysis have found that approximately one-third of people who experience a stroke also have diabetes. Our patients with diabetes are at greatest risk of stroke uh, compared to people without diabetes and more likely also to have worse outcomes. So really important that we identify the high-risk population and manage them aggressively. So we know type 2 diabetes directly affects systematic inflammation, arterial stiffness and endothelial dysfunction, which could either directly or indirectly via uh, atherosclerosis lead to stroke. But we also know that diabetes is associated with hypertension, microvascular disease, lipid abnormalities, other metabolic derangements and autonomic dysfunction, which could again lead to either stroke or via the development of congestive heart failure. So very complex myriad of mechanisms that lead uh, to stroke in people with type 2 diabetes. If you look at the epidemiological data, looking at the association with HbA1c with stroke risk, there's a continuous relationship. So every 1% increase is associated with an increased risk of stroke. The good news is that many of the strategies we already use to manage type 2 diabetes may help protect people from stroke, such as achieving and maintaining healthy body weight, uh, blood pressure management, physical activity, and of course, improving HbA1c with uh, anti-diabetic therapies. And particularly, some of the GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, from the recent studies have shown that there may be protection from stroke. Let's have a look at some of the recent GLP-1 receptor agonist trials. Now, there are differences we know between the populations and also the molecules themselves, some being short-acting, such as lixacenatide, while the others, uh, such as liraglutide, semaglutide, and dilaglutide, being long-acting GLP-1 receptor agonists. And what we see here with some of the long-acting uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, we see uh, significant reductions uh, for hazards for incidence of new uh, stroke risk. This is a really nice uh, post-hoc analysis uh, from the LEADER study. As you remember, the LEADER study had 9,340 participants, about 40% had uh, prevalent myocardial infarction or stroke, 33% had arthrosclerotic cardiovascular disease without stroke or MI, and 21% had risk factors. 
And what we see here is liraglutide uh, led to reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events in people with a history of stroke or MI, but also in people with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease without uh, a previous myocardiovascular stroke. So benefits for stroke come in in this secondary analysis with a long-acting GLP-1 receptor agonist liraglutide. This is looking at uh, rewind exploratory analysis. As we see fatal or non-fatal stroke, there was a, a significant uh, reduction here uh, of around 24%. Uh, disabling stroke, again, a significant reduction of about 26%. Uh, non-fatal stroke, 24% relative risk reduction, again, significant, uh, but no significant difference with fatal stroke. So again, uh, showing the benefits uh, of GLP-1 receptor agonists. Again, this is a post hoc analysis looking at data from Sustain and Pioneer um, uh, with semaglutide, as you know, that was used on cardiovascular events across cardiovascular risk spectrum. So two CVOT trial data were amalgamated. What we see here is that semaglutide significantly reduced the risk of uh, MACE events in the in the trial itself, but here we see also uh, significant benefits for non-fatal stroke, and the benefit seems to be across the continuum of cardiovascular risk score. This risk score was developed on from the liraglutide uh, trial, but as you can see, very reassuring that uh, across the continuum we do get benefits favoring semaglutide. This is from uh, Pioneer 6, uh, looking at uh, uh, non-fatal stroke with oral semaglutide. But again, uh, if we think about Pioneer 6, this was uh, looking at uh, uh, safety outcomes for uh, oral semaglutide. It was designed to rule out the 80% increased cardiovascular risk as mandated by FDA. The follow-up wasn't that long, 15.9 months. And what this study found was the cardiovascular risk was non-inferior compared to placebo. Uh, the MACE events were 11%, uh, uh, not crossing the 1.8 margin as uh, uh, described by the FDA. But what we do see is here a 26% relative risk reduction, which wasn't significant for non-fatal stroke. However, as you can see, the number of events was low, 12 events in the uh, oral semaglutide arm, 16 events in the placebo arm. The trial didn't follow up for that long period either. And so some of the exploratory analysis here are showing that there may be beneficial effects of oral semaglutide on the stroke risk. What we were really waiting for now is the sole trial, which is will hopefully confirm if there are benefits, not only for MACE outcomes, but stroke outcomes as well with oral semaglutide. And within uh, the next few years, we will get the results of the sole trial. Now, we also know that there are other uh, programs of novel therapies, so SGLT2 inhibitors, as we mentioned, which have had a huge beneficial effect on uh, three-point MACE outcomes. Um, so the first ones, as we know, was Empareg outcome trial, which showed a 14% relative risk reduction for MACE. Then we had a 14% reduction uh, from the CANVAS program for canagliflozin. Declare TIMI, which uh, had more uh, participants with that, didn't show a MACE benefit, but did show benefits in terms of hospitalization for uh, heart failure or the composite of hospitalization, heart failure and mortality. However, what we see here is the stroke risk uh, was not 
uh, improved with uh, isoglt 2 inhibitors. So in summary, type 2 diabetes is an independent risk factor for stroke, and we've seen uh, a twofold increased risk in people with type 2 diabetes for stroke compared to those without diabetes. We've also discussed the data from major cardiovascular outcome trials suggesting benefits of reducing stroke uh, in some uh, GLP-1 receptor agonists. However, we do not fully understand the mechanisms of these benefits from various GLP-1 receptor agonists. But what we do know is we have a good evidence base now of multiple risk factor control and GLP-1 receptor agonists uh, reduced in the risk of stroke. And what we right now need to do is identify appropriate patients to manage them to reduce their stroke risk. Thank you very much for joining today. Welcome. Uh, I'm Janika Karalidi from King's College London in the United Kingdom. In this presentation, guidelines, 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 best practice for incorporating current recommendations into practice. We will review the current recommendations for stroke prevention in people with type 2 diabetes. And importantly, how can we implement these guidelines into day-to-day -day clinical practice? So despite the associations and poor outcomes associated with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and stroke, many of us are aware of the burden of stroke, but the interaction and the mechanisms and also the practical treatment and how we can prevent strokes is underappreciated. And the important learning from this program of work is how we can identify people at high risk of stroke and what are the therapeutic interventions that we can give people with diabetes to reduce the devastating impact of stroke. And if you look at the presence of diabetes only in the absence of hypertension, you can still see a two and a half fold increased risk of stroke. So diabetes on its own is a significant risk factor for stroke and the combination of hypertension with diabetes, which is very common in many of the patients we look after, further increases the risk of stroke to nearly fourfold or greater. And in addition, we see the devastating impact of diabetes on stroke mortality. Worsening hypertension is associated with increased risk of mortality nearly eight times greater than people without diabetes and without hypertension. So the combination of diabetes and hypertension significantly increases the risk of fatal strokes. So what are the current guidelines for the management of people with type 2 diabetes at risk of stroke? ADA, EASD, consensus a report and guidance on the management of diabetes with a focus on glucose-lowering therapies that can be used not only for the improvement of glycemic control, but really importantly, focusing on reducing the burden of devastating vascular complications of diabetes. And if you look at people at high risk of cardiovascular disease or those with established cardiovascular disease, what we can see here is that in this cohort of people, independent of HbA1c, we should consider after metformin and lifestyle, the early prompt use of a GLP-1 receptor agonist, preferably in the context of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And this is really important because this is a sea change in the way we approach people with diabetes. We are now having therapeutic interventions like GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 
inhibitors, which we would be using independent of their patient's baseline HbA1c, independent of the glucose-lowering benefits, as these therapies significantly reduce the burden of cardiovascular complications of diabetes. And really, for the first time, we see cardiology guidelines having the role of specific diabetes therapies, in particular, GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors, class one evidence for the role of these therapies to prevent the burden of cardiovascular disease, and in particular, the reducing the risks of cerebrovascular disease in the context of this program of work that we are presenting today. So the focus is a multifactorial approach targeting blood pressure, lipids, and the use of evidence-based therapies like GLP-1 receptor agonists to reduce the burden of cardiovascular disease. So how can we incorporate clinical guidelines into day-to-day -day practice? And often we need to go back to basics. And what is really, really important is to remember the STINO2 study. So this study, as you know, focused on a multi-pronged approach, looking at lifestyle, achieving and maintaining healthy body weight, reducing salt intake, exercise, reducing and stopping smoking, blood pressure control, improving HbA1c, lipid lowering, psychological help, self-management -edu education. And what we can see is that this combination of multiple approaches significantly reduces the risk of incident stroke by 69% in the intensive group, which received all these interventions compared to the control group, clearly demonstrating the importance of a multifactorial approach, focusing on lifestyle factors, blood pressure, lipids, glucose control, which is so vital for us to use in all our patients with diabetes. What about the role for specific anti-diabetic medications as treatments to prevent stroke in people with type 2 diabetes? In this meta-analysis that was recently published looking at GLP-1 receptor agonists, we can see the benefits in reducing three-point mace by nearly 14% with the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists as compared to placebo. If you look at the components, we can see the remarkable benefits, in my opinion, a 17% risk reduction in fatal or non-fatal stroke. And what was very fascinating is that the benefits of stroke reduction observed in the SUSTAIN-6 study and in the Rewind study were independent of baseline HbA1c and were independent of the HbA1c lowering effects of these agents. So here we have conclusive evidence from a very large meta-analysis of a number of studies that GLP-1 receptor agonists reduce the burden of fatal or non-fatal stroke by 17%. If you look at all-cause mortality, we see similar benefits of the GLP-1 receptor agonist class. We all know the remarkable benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors in reducing hospitalization for heart failure, preventing the progression of chronic kidney disease. What about the role of these agents, however, on stroke? And in this meta-analysis, looking at SGLT2 inhibitors, 
The results of this analysis suggest that SGLT2 inhibitors do not have a specific beneficial effect in reducing the risk of stroke. So do the current clinical evidence and guidelines help us in choosing an appropriate medication for people with diabetes to prevent stroke and reduce the devastating burden of stroke in patients and their families? And the answer is yes. What we have from the ADA EASD guidance and the European Society of Cardiology guidance is that in people at high risk of cardiovascular disease or stroke, for example, GLP-1 receptor agonists should be considered independent of baseline HbA1c as therapeutic interventions in people at high risk of cardiovascular disease. So moving on to a patient, and this is a patient many of us will probably see in our day-to-day -day practice. He's 63 years old. He's had diabetes for 10 years. His past HbA1c levels have been suboptimal between 8 to 8.5%. He also has hypertension. There is a family history of diabetes as well as stroke. He has a BMI that is elevated at 32. He has a GFR of 62 and the presence of microalbuminuria, which tells us that this patient is at very high risk of future cardiovascular events, including stroke. So clearly, there are several modifiable risk factors in this patient at high risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke. The patient is understandably worried about his future risk of heart disease and stroke. He has seen the devastating impact of a stroke in his father, and he really wants to improve his health and make sure he's on the best medications to reduce his future risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke. So we need to focus on lifestyle. Important that lifestyle advice is constantly reinforced, not just at the beginning, at the time of the diagnosis of diabetes, but at every visit, we need to reinforce the importance of lifestyle, diet, exercise, salt intake. Reducing the salt intake is a modifiable factor that can improve blood pressure and also prevent the risk of cardiovascular disease. We need to get his blood pressure towards 130 over 80. We can adjust his amlodipine and he may need an additional diuretic a thiazide diuretic to optimize his blood pressure control. Does the current evidence and guidelines help us in choosing an appropriate anti-diabetes medication for the patient case that I've just described? And specifically, is there a diabetes therapy that can help reduce the burden of cardiovascular disease, including stroke? And the answer is yes. A GLP-1 receptor agonist should be considered in this case to improve his glycemic control, to improve his weight, but most importantly, to reduce the burden of cardiovascular disease and the risk of future stroke. It's really important when we start a GLP-1 in clinical practice that we talk about the dose titration with the patient, explaining the gradual slow dose titration, educating the patient about potential side effects, dietary modifications to mitigate or reduce gastrointestinal side effects. And the importance of these are so valuable because we are using this therapy not just for diabetes control, but also for long-term cardiovascular protection. Importantly, GLP-1 receptor agonists have a low risk of hypoglycemia, 
and can be safely combined with many other glucose-lowering therapies. If the patient is on insulin or sulfonylureas, it is important to consider possible reductions in insulin or sulfonylurea dose to prevent an increased risk of hypoglycemia, not driven by the GLP-1 receptor agonist, but due to the effects of insulin and sulfonylurea. And often in my practice, we get the opportunity to reduce the doses of sulfonylurea or insulin, and this has an additional benefit because the patients see the benefits of coming off therapies with a new therapy that is also providing effective weight loss, reduction in HbA1c, and long-term cardiovascular protection. And finally, how can we work together as one team to deliver optimal care to our patients with type 2 diabetes? Interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary working is so, so vital. We need to have joined up care plans focusing on the patient. The person with diabetes is at the center of our care process. From primary care, secondary care, we need to work across specialities with clear communication. This is so important and this prevents duplication of care and it enables us to give effective therapies to people with diabetes. So to summarize, in this activity, you have seen that people with diabetes are at increased risk of stroke. The combination of hypertension and diabetes significantly further enhances the risk of stroke by nearly fourfold. A multifactorial approach is needed to reduce the burden of stroke in people with type 2 diabetes. Focus on lifestyle education, behavior change, smoking cessation, exercise, reduction in salt, continued education is essential. Reduction in blood pressure, reducing lipids. And then when we come to anti-diabetic therapies, we have conclusive evidence from several meta-analyses that GLP-1 receptor agonists demonstrate a significant reduction in three-point maze and its individual components, including stroke. It's vital that the patient is at the center of our care approach. Thank you very much for listening. Hello, my, my name is Vincent Thijs. I'm a stroke neurologist from the Florey Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health at the University of Melbourne in Melbourne, uh, Australia. Welcome to this activity on stroke prevention and type 2 diabetes. So today we will uh, discuss neurological outcomes of anti-diabetic therapy, what a neurologist should know. So we will review efficacy and safety data of glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists in stroke prevention in patients with type 2 diabetes, and especially what do these data, um, what implications do these data have for uh, our colleagues, uh, stroke neurologists. Now, if you work on a stroke unit, uh, it is no surprise that when you see a patient with stroke, uh, many patients already have diabetes. But also when we do efforts to look at uh, impaired glucose intolerance or the, um, the uh, pre-diabetes uh, category, uh, the numbers become staggeringly high. Given that we know that type 2 diabetes uh, increases the risk of, of, of stroke and 
recurrent stroke, it's important that neurologists get involved in the care for patients with uh, uh, the combination of diabetes and stroke. This is a worldwide global burden. We all are aware that uh, if you have uh, uh, diabetes, uh, you can have any type of stroke. Uh, you can have a stroke due to small vessel disease. You can have a stroke due to atherosclerosis of the vessels. Your risk of thrombus in patients with atrial fibrillation is increased in people with diabetes, as evidenced by our risk scores, including diabetic, increasing the risk of embolus. And also in people in whom the stroke remains unexplained, um, the cryptogenic stroke category, diabetes also is commonly present. Especially if you have a metabolic syndrome, so a little bit of more advanced stage of and metabolic disturbance, you're also at higher risk of recurrent stroke uh, in patients with minor stroke and TIAs. Now, if you have a stroke and you're diabetic or your glycemia is higher when you're admitted, maybe because of a stress response, we know that uh, you have a higher risk of a poor outcome. So it's really important that we try to minimize uh, diabetes, reduce the incidence of diabetes, and when it's present, try to minimize these consequences. Interestingly, also hemorrhages in the brain are associated with diabetes. And maybe this is due to the association with small vessel disease, targeting smaller brain vessels or increasing the risk of hypertension and metabolic syndrome. Uh, when um, I was uh, taught medicine a long time ago, and up until recently, it was thought that, uh, look, we know that type 2 diabetes is a risk factor for stroke, but um, just targeting only glycemic control will not reduce the risk of uh, of stroke. These are the more modern uh, drugs that, that have come on the market uh, for classes. We know about pioglitazone because many of us are aware of a study called IRIS in which uh, this drug was used in secondary prevention and had shown a reduction in risk of, of stroke and myocardial infarction. But if you look at the stroke outcomes, actually there was no significant reduction in this trial. Then came other agents like the DPP-4 inhibitors, and unfortunately, they, these were not able to show a benefit in terms of stroke prevention. You hear a lot in, uh, about SGLT2 inhibitors, but in their major trials, also actually no risk reduction in stroke outcomes was observed. And then the fourth category, and the one we're going to focus on today, uh, the GLP-1 receptor agonists, they are actually the only ones that have been shown to reduce uh, the risk of, uh, of stroke in the entire study population. What do we know about the efficacy and safety of the GLP-1 RAs for stroke prevention in type 2 diabetes? Interestingly, when you look at these trials, um, you see a reduction in three-point maze um, with about a 14% uh, reduction. And an impressive 17% reduction in fatal or non-fatal stroke in aggregate. Similarly, if we look at all-cause mortality, 
we see that there is a reduction of mortality. This is obviously one of the harder outcomes we have measured and undeniable uh, showing a significant benefit uh, in terms of uh, mortality prevention. So these uh, GLP-1 RAs in typical diabetic populations reduce the risk of myocardial infarction stroke and vascular death in combination. If you look at it in more detail, it's all strokes uh, particularly are reduced and uh, general mortality. A subproportion of these patients actually have a history of stroke or MI, so they're in the secondary prevention category. So in, in the groups of patients that have had a history of MI or non-fatal stroke, you also see this 14% um, reduction in uh, the recurrent maze category. So the drugs also work in secondary prevention. These secondary prevention patients typically have more risk factors or are generally older. So that's really reassuring to see these benefits as well. What about uh, recurrent non-fatal stroke? And obviously the numbers get smaller and the trials that looked at, at this in detail have not reported all the results, but from the evidence we see, the, the results are quite similar. Uh, again, a reduction in risk, albeit not significant in this instance, but that may be due to a power issue rather than uh, an absence of real efficacy. Now our cardiology friends are really excited about another anti-diabetic uh, drug class called the SGLT2I. Uh, and these are um, uh, agents that also have benefits in cardiovascular outcomes, um, both in primary and secondary prevention. Unfortunately, their risk-benefit profile is a little bit different. We see here a benefit in heart failure, hospitalization, um, but not so much on the stroke outcomes. There is no benefit uh, in, in uh, stroke prevention. I think um, where we used to have a very much hands-off approach in uh, diabetes management uh, as a stroke neurologist, we now are probably with these data, more powered, empowered to say, no, we need to uh, be more active with this approach and collaborate more closely with our uh, colleague, colleagues that manage diabetes on a daily basis with these drugs. Um, and we, we, we should probably be aware of these clinical outcome data and question what drugs are our patients on uh, for managing their diabetes. Obviously, this should happen in collaboration, um, but sometimes we, we can make these choices as well, I think. Uh, let, let me illustrate this uh, with a patient case. Um, so this is a 75-year-old man who has type 2 diabetes, and uh, you see him in your practice with a TIA, and you review his medical history, has high blood pressure, is uh, overweight, um, and his, uh, has a normal ejection fraction on the echocardiogram that you have ordered while working up the TIA. Semoglobin A1C is slightly above target. His LDL-C is about 60, so uh, well on target. And he's currently using ramipril and metformin. So obviously we would uh, naturally target his blood pressure. But also we may question whether we should add something uh, a, uh, on top of his metformin because he is overweight. 
So uh, we know that uh, the GLP-1 RAs are uh, reduce weight, and um, that also we can uh, reduce this hemoglobin in A1C. So those would be the surrogate markers that we can target. But actually, we we probably will improve his cardiovascular outcome, his risk of a future stroke, which we know is elevated in patients with TIA um, uh, to, to a higher degree. If patients have a history of heart failure, then uh, SGLT2 is probably the way to go. But uh, in the patients uh, who have indicators of high risk or have evidence of atherosclerotic disease or a history of stroke, definitely GLP-1 RAs should be considered by us. The next steps uh, are, um, are probably more in collaboration with our diabetologists. So think about your practice. Uh, discuss with your diabetologist whether maybe even in the stroke unit upon discharge these drugs can and should be considered um, for uh, patients that are already on metformin um, uh, and don't have a history of uh, kidney disease or, uh, or heart failure. I think this data uh, should make us reflect on our practice, um, should uh, make us um, actually consider being more involved in, in, in this large proportion of patients that we see uh, with, uh, with, with diabetes or impaired glucose control. Yeah, I think um, we um, are only scratching the surface of these uh, fascinating drugs. We know that they benefit stroke prevention, they reduce uh, fatal cardiovascular outcomes. We may uh, see some future trials to reduce Recurrent stroke risk, uh, although the global evidence suggests that they will do so. And um, I think there is an important role for neurologists in the, in the multidisciplinary team managing uh, patients with type 2 diabetes. I hope uh, you found this uh, presentation educational and I thank you for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.